Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, today with episode 680 of the Survival Podcast. It is Wednesday, June the 8th, 2011, and uh, today we're going to talk about the subject that's the most dear to me in my heart, and that is liberty. Uh, and from a libertarian perspective, but don't worry, today will not be a political show. I'm not going to tell you how to vote or who to vote for. In fact, I'm going to tell you today that I shouldn't even tell you that if I really want to be a real libertarian. Um, I'm not going to get political at all other than some people will see it as political because as soon as you talk about liberty, if you are a totalitarian-minded person, it must be political because it's anti-government. Well, I guess in some respects that's true, but I'm going to talk about liberty in our own lives today. And I'm going to talk about what we need to do until our fellow Americans are ready to embrace and fight for and believe in liberty as well. The problem we have in our country today is not government. It is the people. Now, there are many people out there that will bash the government for being intrusive, being overtaxing, putting our nation into debt, oppressing our people, etc. I will agree, except I will assign blame to the watch guards, to the guardians that are supposed to prevent that from happening. That's me and you and the rest of our fellow Americans. So today I'm going to talk about us and what we do in our own lives until our fellow guardians are willing to stand up with us and make a change. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Make sure the show is here for you. Five days a week, Monday through Friday, 52 weeks out of the year in general. Once in a while there's some time off where there's not a show left behind, but that doesn't happen often. And the sponsors help make that happen by helping to keep the lights on and pay the bills here. Uh, sponsor of the day number one, silverandgoldshop.com. That is the wonderful Mary Beth Maidmont. Uh, I have not had a sponsor ever. Not just, I haven't had a business associate ever where I've heard from customers the way I hear about Mary Beth, which is crazy being in the silver and gold business. It's one of the toughest, most cutthroat, hardest businesses to survive in. It's a great asset to put in your home, but being in that business is tough. You take an inventory and the price drops tomorrow. What does that mean for you? Think about that. It's a tough business to be in. People want to know, why don't you have survival podcast silver coins? Because I have to go lay out... Say 38 grand for a thousand ounces of silver, and by the time we're done minting, if silver's down to 28 bucks because it's taken a, a downturn in the interim, I either have to sit on the inventory and wait for it to come back up or I have to sell at a loss. That is the type of business Mary Beth is in, and yet she does it with integrity and an outstanding level of customer service that has resulted in multiple emails to me telling me that, that one adjective over and over again. Wonderful. That means that if you're looking to buy silver and gold, check with Mary Beth first. If you're looking to do large-scale purchases, give her a phone call. She'll work with you on that. Next up today, HarvestEating.com, Chef Keith Snow. What I love about Chef Keith is not just that he teaches you to cook locally and seasonally and how to cook with your preps and all this other great stuff. It's that he's really living the lifestyle that we talk about all the time. A lot of what we're talking about today... Keith Snow used to be a multi-six-figure earning executive chef at one of the most classy establishments, chains of restaurants that existed in Aspen, Colorado. If you think about Aspen, Colorado, it is the playground of the ultra-rich. He went from there 
to a, to a Carolina uh, farm homestead and made a major downsizing in his life, exactly the way that we've done in our household. Why? Because he wanted to live under his own terms and help people the way that he chose to. That's the kind of person you're doing business with if you do business with HarvestEating.com. That's why I love having Chef Keith Snow and HarvestEating.com as a sponsor. Remember, you can find those two sponsors and all our sponsors on our website, Right Hand Margin. You'll see their banners. If you go through those, you'll be sure you're dealing with an actual survival podcast sponsor. And remember, our sponsors are personal endorsements. They have to go through an approval process. They are all personal endorsements by me. Backed up by the Listener Ad Council. And if the Listener Ad Council says no and I say yes, they can't become a sponsor. The waiting list to be a sponsor on this show right now is already several years long. It's an exclusive group of people. It's important that you guys know that, and I remind you once in a while. Next up, make sure you check out the gear shop. We do have AOCS copper rounds back in the gear shop. So while you can't get silver TSP coins, you can get copper ones. They're only a buck eighty-five a piece. They're absolutely gorgeous, proof quality coins. Uh, we're selling them in, in quantities of 20 or more, so check those out. Lots of other great stuff in the gear shop. Last but not least, remember the other way we pay the bills to keep the lights on around here other than the sponsors is the Member Support Brigade, and we do that in a way that provides you a return of investment. If you become a Member Support Brigade member, you get a great return of investment. There's over 25 vendors now that offer great discount programs that are exclusive to the Member Support Brigade. There's exclusive content you won't get anywhere else, and best of all, you help support the work we do here at about 20 cents an episode. So when you shut the, the, the iPod off today or the computer off today, if you think, Jack, that was worth 20 cents, consider becoming a member of the Support Brigade. And with that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. There's a couple things that spurred um, my, my choice of topic for today. Uh, it really came up yesterday and uh, on Tuesday with a response to some comments I made about anarchism uh, with, uh, with the, the Monday Listener Call Show. And in spite of the spirited debate that I'm having with several anarchists in the comments there, this isn't about anarchism versus libertarianism or minarchism or anything like that. Uh, there's a really great commenter on the blog that's always really challenging with his thoughts, and I don't know what his real name is, but on the blog he is Cam, K-A-M. And uh, toward the end of this comments thread, at least where the end was yesterday, um, he made a comment about how it's the government's fault. And I made a joke back and said, Cam, uh, we agree on almost everything except where I'm right and you're wrong. And then I you know, made sure he knew that was a joke. But my point was, I actually don't blame the government at all. I'll explain that here in just a second. But I want you to think about that. All the problems that we have in our nation today, I don't blame the government. Think about who it is that I do blame then. Before we get to that, though, again, I want to just start off with kind of where I'm coming at today with this. Every day. You guys email me, and I don't want you to see this as a complaint. It's not. I, I, I so value this audience. It's like I have a research department that's 20,000 strong to send this stuff to me. And sometimes I talk about how big the volume of email and all is. I don't care that it's huge. I'm just letting you know why you don't always hear back or your stuff doesn't always get on the show. I want it to be bigger. I want to have to hire somebody eventually just to help me with the volume. So keep it coming. But I would say 20% or more of the email I get isn't a question or isn't here's what's going on or here's a neat thing. At least 20% uh, or not even here's a disaster. This is what our government or some government or some corporate entity is doing somewhere to encroach upon our liberty. And that can be depressing. Uh, it's a, just a complete widespread attack on individual rights by government and the private sector. It's corporatism and, and it's, it's totalitarian government put together. We have a word for that, and it is our economy in the United States today, whether anybody wants to accept it or not, and it's called fascism. 
so I have that constantly coming in. I don't want to get into that today. If you really want to understand what I mean when I say our government is fascist today, all I'll say is this. Forget about putting people to death in concentration camps. That was an action of a fascist government, not a hallmark of a fascist government. And look up the definition of fascist economics. And then look at the U.S. Uh, economic system, and you'll see what I mean. My big point, though, is that it can become depressing if you keep thinking about all the things that these people are doing to us. There was also an article called 32 Signs That Will Blow Your Mind that I put out on Facebook yesterday. And uh, I read it to my wife uh, yesterday morning as well, and both of us couldn't believe it. I want to give you just one of the things that's in this. There's school systems now that are putting in a system that when your child gets their tray of food, the tray has a barcode on it linked to the child, your child. As they take the food away from the, you know, the lunch lady in the, in the little cash register where they take whatever it costs to buy a school lunch now. I remember when it was 60 cents, by the way. Um, it takes a snapshot. Your kid took this tray away and here was the food on it. And the computer calculates the nutrient value, the calories and everything else. When you go back to, you know, where you dumped your tray off when you were a kid into the garbage, it does it again and it sees what's missing. So what did you take, what's left, and it determines what your child ate. That's just one, and I'll post a link to this whole thing, because if I go into it, the whole show will be about exactly what I don't want it to be about, the oppressive side. Because I want today's show to be a power, empowering. But that's just one example of the type of thing I see every day. One more in this before I move on. Number five in this list of articles was a certified TSA official was brought in to oversee student searches at a Santa Fe High School prom last weekend. So while you know the house, the state house in Texas are trying to push the TSA out of our airport systems, California is bringing the TSA into their proms. So I guess pretty soon the TSA will be groping young girls in their prom dresses. I guess a lot of people will think that's okay. And when when you constantly get barraged with this, it's depressing. You start to feel like there's nothing that I can do because you tell other people and they get mad for a second and then they go back to playing a video game or they go they go back to doing their mundane job or they go back to, you know, the left-right paradigm and go, "Oh, it's the damn Democrats or it's the damn Republicans." And and they don't see that that dichotomy is just designed to divide them in half. And you you feel like you want to pull your hair out. You you look at the people that are that are anti, you know, anti-Republican and they say, "Well, that Bush with the Patriot Act." And then you look at Barack Obama just rocking on with that. Harry Reid just rocking on with that. You see the two sides doing exactly the same thing, and the people that were making the accusations under Bush don't even care now. And the people that didn't care when Bush was doing it, those people are now pointing and go, look what they're doing. It's insane on its face, and you start to feel like there's nothing I can do, the battle is lost, and liberty is dying. When that thought starts to enter my mind, I have to excise it immediately. I have to get it out immediately. I see it as a mental spiritual, emotional, and physical cancer because it's a lie. And I responded to another listener today, totally unrelated subject, but the the person said, but this will happen if we do this, if we stop doing this. But the thing we were doing was telling a lie, a lie that the person writing me could never say wasn't a lie. All right, I won't say what it is. I don't want to bring that into this discussion, but it's a blatant lie that we use to market something that's perceived to be positive. And I said, there is nothing honorable that can be done through the use of a lie. So if we start to believe liberty is dying, there's nothing honorable that can come from that because it is a lie. Because liberal liberty is not a life form. 
It's a way of life. You want to quote Jack Spirico on something? There's a new one for you. Liberty is not a life form. It is a way of life. It cannot die. It can only be forgotten, ignored, scorned, or attacked. But an idea can never die so long as one person has the courage or even the potential to remember it. So my belief is while our population is not currently interested in liberty as a whole, there is hope and there are many of us who are. It is up to us to live in liberty in spite of the system around us. And I believe that's best done through the philosophy, not the politics, but the philosophy of libertarianism. And I want to tell you what the true beauty of libertarianism is, and this will help you no matter what your political stripes are right now. Enjoy the rest of the show and gain from it without feeling like you have to throw your baby out with your bathwater. The real beauty of libertarianism, it does not require you to believe anything just because I do or just because anybody else does. The beauty of libertarianism is you are allowed to do, think, and act as you choose. Period. If you believe in welfare, you can set up all the welfare you want with all the other people that are willing to get on board with you and set up and run and manage that welfare. You are not allowed to go make me participate with you. So if you believe that it's important that your pet project, whatever it is, fill in the blanks, be done, you are free to fuel that Project that, work that, do whatever you want. You're free to spread that message. You're free to get as many people on board with you as possible. What you're not free to do is put a gun to somebody else's head in the form of government and make them participate with you. And that is true beauty because it's true freedom. And that means that whatever you think so important, you're able to keep it. You just can't drag me along with you. If I think something else is more important and more deserving of my time, my talent, my effort, and my initiative. And that's the real beauty of libertarianism. It doesn't require you to change what you believe, what you do, what you think, how you act. It just requires you to allow me the same freedom you want from me back. It's a reciprocity system. That's its true beauty. And that's what most people don't understand about it. Because most people look at it from a political bent instead of a personal philosophy. I want to talk now a little bit about the current threats to liberty, so I can come back to that little seed I planted with you at the beginning. And I'm going to go in the order of the least dangerous to the most dangerous. And it's going to shock you, because if you were looking at the list when I put it together before I explained it to you, you'd think I had the list exactly backwards. So the, the first threat that I see to our liberty that is the least And, and realize that all of these are terrible, terrible threats. But of the four I'm going to give you, it's the least of the four. Debt and taxes. Debt and taxes are, are it's not debt and then taxes, it's debt and taxes together because the taxation in this nation and the insanity behind it is directly linked to the debt of the nation as a whole because the money is a debt-based system. I won't go into it at large. I'll just say that it's very clear to me that if you have a government that taxes you, you have less ability to fend for yourself. And if they then take that and use it for things that violate the libertarian principles, that we said you can think, act, be, do whatever you want, but you can't make somebody else do it. So if your tax money is being, anything at all is being done with your taxes to do something you don't want done, we violated that principle. And I don't mean things like, well, I don't even want the government building roads. Okay, we can get stupid with this principle if we want to. Anything can be taken to an extreme. But there are clear things that are, there are moral objections to that our government's doing. And if the government wants to do those things, they should get people to voluntarily fund them. 
by making a case and saying, here, put your money here. I would even like this as a tax reform system. I don't want to get too political today, but here's how it would work. When you file your taxes, it, it would be a, a, a form that showed not just the income tax you pay and the Social Security and everything else you pay, but every tax you paid that year. And then there's a little thing, and there's a bunch of uh, thousands of check boxes, you know? And you check the boxes that you're, you're willing to let some of your money go to. Just a thought. But... Debt and taxes are, are, are a big threat to liberty, not just because they take from you, but because they empower the apparatus of government that is also de deconstructing liberty. Right? But it's the least of the, of the things. Now, the next one is sort of related to it, but it's not just government that's doing this. It's private sector as well, so it goes off on its own, and that's surveillance, surveillance and intrusion. When your kid can't have lunch at school without somebody monitoring what they eat, with a computer system that will track them and has the potential to save that information for the rest of their life and be handed off to somebody like an HMO in the future or a government employer or a private sector employer in the future because even though they promise to not save this information, we always know how that works out. Um, that's a threat to liberty. And that, though being done in a school system, is being pushed, provided for, and funded through the private sector selling it into the school systems. And that will end up everywhere if we allow it. And it's just one example. So surveillance and intrusion, it's a huge problem. And it's these are the things people focus on. Debt, taxes, surveillance, intrusion. Government, private sector, Monsanto, and the Department of Agriculture, right? Okay, now let me get to the bigger threat than debt, taxes, surveillance, and intrusion. Apathy. Apathy. The apathy of the American people is what allows this to occur. I started out with this. I said that I do not blame the government for putting us in debt, for intruding into our personal lives, for taking our liberty, and for overtaxing us. Well, if I don't blame the government, who do I blame? I blame the people of this nation who have allowed it to occur, who have allowed ignorance of their constitutional rights, their God-given rights, and the inherent foundational concepts of this nation allowed that ignorance to fester in themselves in the hearts and minds of their family and their children and their children's children for decades now simply because the government gave you an educational system that was designed to create it. You stopped learning for yourselves. You stopped standing, stopped standing up for yourselves. You stopped asking questions. You stopped living the lifestyle that America was meant to live. And you allowed these things to occur. And I know if you personally aren't one of those people, you may think I'm talking down to you right now. I'm not. I'm talking to the nation as a whole. And you damn well know it's true. There's less than 10% of the people in this nation today that really understand the principles of independence of this republic that we're supposed to be living in. Less than 10%. I guarantee you, if you will get me 100 people off the street anywhere in America, and I don't care if they're college grads, or blue-collar workers, or anything in between, less than 10 of them will be able to explain to me why the Constitution doesn't give you rights, but actually protects them. Less, less than 10, of, uh, 10 out of 100 will be able to explain to me why the first question we should ask when the government is considering a law is, are they allowed to do this versus, is it a good idea? And in 1860, 1870, 1880, 1890, that was the first question that people asked. So we've allowed this to occur. So apathy is one of the greatest threats. It is the number two on my list of threats toward our liberty and independence today. You want my last one? The biggest threat? Libertarians living in defeat. Libertarians living in defeat. Libertarians who only focus on how bad things are. How bad the government is, how bad everybody else is, 
how terrible everything is, wah, 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 wah. And instead of living a life based on independence and liberty, they live a life of enslavement to the system, they use it as an excuse for their failures, they argue with each other, and they accomplish nothing other than political banter and arguments within their own circles. They'll spend hours arguing which one's a better libertarian, which one knows more than the other one, which one is too purist and which one is not enough. Instead of going out and living like an actual libertarian with a little L instead of a great big L that represents a political party. Libertarians themselves today should be the guardians of liberty and instead, through banter and excuse, they're allowing the nation to fall instead of helping hold it up. We do not resist tyranny by arguing about it. We resist tyranny by being an example of what liberty looks like so that others will gravitate toward liberty. I know some people will disagree with the order that I put those things in. The last one, maybe you can make a case. But if you tell me that debt, taxes, surveillance, and intrusion are a bigger threat than public apathy, I'm sorry. You've got it backwards. It is the public apathy that allows these things to occur. So it's up to you and I to do something about it. And to me, we do that through the personal libertarian lifestyle. And that's today's show, 14 Steps to the Personal Libertarian Lifestyle. Number one, and I've kind of already covered this one, but I'll, I'll hit it again because it's so important. Believe and do as you please within the law. Now, I know a lot of laws are unjust. A lot of laws we feel that we shouldn't have to follow. A lot of laws we feel like if we do this, we're acting counter to our principles. But let me put it in perspective for you. If you're living in this nation as an American citizen, you've agreed to live within the laws of the community that you live in and the sub-community, the state and the local government. If you don't like where you are, you move. You can find the greatest amount of liberty possible in America, or you can go where there's the least amount of liberty possible in America, someplace like Chicago or New York City, and you can fight the battle any way you want, but you've agreed to play the game according to your location. So you play it. It doesn't mean we don't avoid certain things. It doesn't mean we don't get tactical, right? It doesn't mean we willingly open our veins and let the tax blood flow. We'll get to that in a bit, but we do have to stay within the bounds of the law. It's just like playing chess. If you and I agree to play chess, you may believe that a knight should be able to move different than a knight can move on the chessboard. But the reality is if you want to win the game and you want to be respected for winning the game and you want your opponent to look at you and say, this guy has a better way of playing chess than I do, you can't cheat. You have to play the game within the rules that are there. Again, that doesn't mean we don't bend rules. It doesn't mean we don't break with convention. It doesn't mean that we don't get really creative in, in fighting the tax system. But we can believe and do what we want within the, the, the confines of the law because that takes away the objection that says, well, if you believed and do as you please, you could just go out and kill somebody and take their house. No, that would be anarchism. Now, the anarchists are all getting mad right now and getting ready to pound their keyboards and tell me how wrong I am about how an anarchist doesn't believe in, in force on another individual. Well, fine, but somebody does. And if there's no buddy to stand up for the one that's weaker, guess what happens? So we're not going to go down that road today. Believe and do as you please within the law. The key is believing more than doing. Believe anything you want. You just don't force it on anybody else. And that goes us to the second principle. Spread your belief with example, never with force. And force, force is not just about a gun or a club or a fist or a shove. Force is about coercion. Force can even be 
let's say you are of a particular religious bent and you believe in spreading the word of your faith. Fine. And you go knock on somebody's door and you say, blah, 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 whatever it is that you're supposed to say. And that person says, hey, you know what, thanks and all, but go somewhere else. I'm really not interested today. If you do anything but leave, you're, exist you're exerting force on that person. If they're receptive to your message, fine. If they're not, you respect them as another individual and you walk away. That can be with anything and any idea and any concept. I just use a, one that happens quite often where you, you know, Buddha, and then you're the guy standing out sword chanting some kind of thing and praying on your door. Uh, no, please leave my property now, right? Uh, you know, and I would never escalate something like that to, you know, uh, what I would do if somebody's trying to break in, but it is intrusion on a personal space. And you don't even know what, you, what you're combating, right? You don't even know. Maybe I completely agree with you. I just don't want to talk to you right now, and you're on my property. So that's just a way to kind of make it much broader. So if you believe that everybody should practice recycling, then what you do is you come up with the best, most effective, most cost-savings methodology in the world for recycling. You make it work. You prove it works. And you show how it benefits the individual who does the recycling. You spread the idea with power versus passing a law that says if you put a tin can or aluminum can in with your other garbage, we're going to see if you'll fine. Right? There's, there's one is libertarian. I've proven it out. So I know if I prove it out, more people will follow me than won't. And there's, you'll do what I say even if my idea doesn't work because I have the power. So spread your belief with example, never force. And you have to start asking yourself in everything that you do, Am I encroaching on this person's or this individual's or this organization's freedom with force? And you have to realize the subtle nature of force. Force is me, who has money, offering you money if you'll bend to my will, if that money comes with conditions. Now sometimes, to help somebody in a private charity situation, you might look at a person and say, look, hey, I'll help you out, but you're a drug addict, so if you want my help, you have to get into rehab. It's actually still even a little bit of force, but it's my money, so it's my choice whether to give it to you or not. But if you are selling to a certain group of people that I don't want you to sell to, and I come buy you out just to obstruct that, Right? So there's certain things here that government can't solve that people have to start having some moral integrity and start understanding that if you want something done a certain way, you have to do it through example. The next thing you have to do is you have to create independence from the systems as much as possible. The more dependent you are on government, the more dependent on you are on someone else to fix things for you, the more susceptible to the erosion of liberty you will become. There is a belief that the majority of Americans have today that it's necessary for us to sacrifice some liberty for some safety. We had, a, you know, actually one guy gets all the credit, but that was actually a very common thing said by our founders. Those who, th those who sacrifice liberty for safety deserve neither. And yet we're turning that on its head. It's one of the most foundational concepts of our country. Absolutely. The entire concept of the foundation of, of, of a, the, the, the constitutional republic of the United States was that the individual's liberty was to be held above all other things. And now we're turning it around and saying the safety of the collective outweighs the individual's right to be free. To be free of the very things promised that we are to be free of in our Bill of Rights. Again, if you think this is political, it's not, because this is not vote for the Republican versus the Democrat. This is, we have to change the mindset of our people as a whole. The problem is not that one branch or one other 
party or one that believes less than these things than the other. This is the people of the nation itself have said, yeah, okay, we have to have somebody shove their hands down our pants in an airport. I guess that's okay because the, the, the six-year-old could be carrying a bomb. That's wrong. It's not the government. It's the people. And that comes directly from dependence. You know, the poll that I read, it's in the same article, was 51% of Americans now believe that we have to sacrifice some civil liberties for safety. Do you know roughly 51% of the people in the nation work for the government in one form or another, state, local, federal, what have you, or in an industry that's directly employed by the government as a contractor, over about 51%. Now, I guarantee you there's some that work for government that disagree with that, and there's some that don't work for government that agree with that, but is it a coincidence that the numbers are identical? I don't think so. Because the entire goal of government has become to get... Just 1% more to get on board with this. We do it by employing them, by paying them off, by giving them welfare, whatever, to where their dependence makes it incumbent upon them to continue to support the Goliath and the apparatus, even if it's sinking. In other words, if we're on a ship and it's sinking, and there's no lifeboats, and there's no sight of land, and no way to swim away, and we're going to have to go down with the ship, everybody starts climbing up the, the, uh, the mast, to be the last one to go under versus getting off of the boat. And that's what they're trying to create, a situation where the average person doesn't feel like there is a lifeboat. Well, if you create independence from the systems for yourself, financially, food-wise, water-wise, logistically, mentally more than anything else, you don't buy into that. And you know there's always an option. There's always a lifeboat. So you have to create independence from the systems. The next one is you got to solve your own problems whenever you can. You know, if you got a neighbor that's doing something you don't like, go talk to them. You know, don't go beat them up. You know, don't go threaten them. Don't go put a gun to their head like an idiot. You go to jail, as you should. But go try to solve the freaking problem before you call the police in. You've At that point, you've damaged the relationship. They're going to figure out you're the one that did it sooner or later. Solve your own problems. I got an email from a guy yesterday. He wanted to cancel his MSB membership. The WAP, he's a monthly member, a whopping five bucks he was worried about being charged next month. He went to his bank and said he wanted to stop payment on the charges. His bank, being an enlightened bank for once, says, well, did you contact this company and tell them you, you wanted to cancel? He said, no. And they said, well, we're not doing this then. Go tell them you want to cancel, see if there's any objection. He sent me an email, told me that story. And I said, why the hell would you do that? Why wouldn't you ask me to cancel your membership first? I never got a response, but I canceled his membership. Of course I did. Why wouldn't I? I'm in business. And that's just another example of people trying to get someone else to fix their problem. Go to another perceived authority. I'll show them, even though I signed up for it and told them I wanted it. Haven't ever told them I was dissatisfied in any way. Haven't contacted them. I'll go get the bank involved. How much does that cost the system versus a simple email? Or logging into your PayPal account and doing it for yourself. You know, please don't go do that today. I mean, I'd like you to stay a member, but that's my point. If you want to cancel, you cancel. Email me. I mean, come on. Let's all use our brains here. You have a problem with somebody or some system, try to work with the other individual. We have become dependent on government because we go to them first. The kid next door is playing the music loud. Hey, walk over there and tell him you're going to put a foot in his ass if he doesn't knock it off. I did it. It worked. I didn't even have to say anything. All I do is start heading over. That was several years ago. We've got to start solving our own problems. We've got to start mediating our own situations, our own issues.
We've got to start using our own voices, using our own power. You know what? You got a company screwing you over? Let me tell you something. If you got nine, ten thousand people following you on Facebook and Twitter, that company's going to care. They might fix your problem for you. You may not have to involve the FCC to get your problem fixed. The FT, whoever it is, Federal Trade Administration, whatever, FTC. That's what I'm thinking of, right? You may be able to fix your problem if the guy down the road from you, you know, is stealing your newspaper. Simply saying, "Dude, I know you're the one doing it. Stop doing it." That might be better than calling the police department. Who has better things to do than worry about your freaking newspaper? And I know I'm getting into minutia here, but that's the problem. That's that's where people have gone. You know, if you have a problem, try to fix it. Even if it's with a, a business-to-business -business situation, you have another business that owes you money, and they said they're not going to pay because of whatever reason, get on the phone, talk to them, try to work it out. What did we do wrong? Why do you think you shouldn't have to pay? Is it a cash flow situation? Are you in deep shit? Well, you're our customer. Let us help you. You know, without being usury with interest. Look, we need this much because we got cash flow too. Usually two businesses can work that out. But a lot of times, as soon as one says no, the first place they go is the legal department. Once the lawyers get involved, the other side lawyers up, and then the lawyers benefit and both companies suffer. And you have to take that down to the individual level. If you want to be a libertarian, you only go to authority when all other reasonable means have failed and you're not capable of rectifying the situation for yourself. And this is how the victims don't become victims. This is what prevents in a libertarian society me deciding I like your house and I'm bigger and stronger than you and have more goons than you. That's anarchism. I can come over and throw your ass out, shoot you in the head, load your wife and kids up, drive you out in the desert, kick their ass out in the desert, and there's no one to do anything about it. We have to have a, 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 a certain amount of authority entrusted to the public through things like police forces and law enforcement to prevent things and abuses like that from occurring. But we rely on them only when we need them. And that goes down to things like, I might even call them. But I'm going to have a gun in my home because they might not get there in time. In fact, they won't. Police, I support immensely. I'm a huge supporter of law enforcement. Proper law enforcement. But you guys know that are cops. You generally show up after the crime, not during it, and not before it. You know, if that happens, it's luck. So while the guy's in my home trying to hurt me and steal my stuff, I'm going to put him down. And that might sound graphic, but that's solving your own problems. Because the government can't fix that problem. All they can do is take a report after the victimization has occurred. So we have to solve our own problems. The next one is, and this is the only thing that's even remotely political here, but I have to put it in because it drives me nuts, because it goes to our biggest threat to liberty, the libertarians living in defeat. The libertarian that's on Lou Rockwell every day and writing blog posts and all is not really who I'm talking about. So if that's you and you were all pissed off, maybe now you're not, because maybe now you know that's not who I'm talking about. The libertarian living in defeat um, can be that person because they're living a life inconsistent with their beliefs. But most of the libertarians living in apathy right now think they're small government Republicans. <laughs> that's who they are. That's exactly who they are. The small government Republicans. And to a lesser degree, small government Democrats. Believe it or not, there are some small government Democrats. They're driven to the democratic ideal based on social, not financial issues. And those people constantly vote for the lesser of two evils. And if you vote for the lesser of two evils, guess what you get? Some form thereof of evil. 
I don't want Satan, so I'll vote for his number two demon. That'll be better. At least it's not Satan. That's how people justify how they vote today. If you're going to be a libertarian, you need to vote for what you believe in, not who you think can win. And I'm sorry, that's just the case. Because until more than 2 to 3% of the population will support an idea, it doesn't have a chance in hell of getting anywhere. Who will I vote for in the next presidential election? Even if he's not the nominee, I'll probably write in Ron Paul. Because at least he's a recognized I'm not saying that's what you should do. Remember, I don't get to tell you what you should do. I'm telling you what I would do. Because that's who I believe would do the best job out of everybody that's out there right now that says they want to run this country. And that goes down to who you vote for for dog catcher. If in the places libertarians have been successful getting on the ballot, if without being mindless and just going, oh, it's a libertarian, check mark, libertarian, check mark, if you'd actually look at all the races and decide who you both believe in, you would find that the majority of Americans are actually quite libertarian-minded. But there's been such a successful division through class warfare The poor against the rich, the rich against the poor, the black against the white, now the black and white against the Hispanic, and on and on and on and on and on it goes. There's been so much of that that people polarize and view their fellow Americans as the enemy and think they all want to take what you have. There's delusionism, there's misinformation, there's propaganda. But when you when you strip people to the core of what they actually believe, you'll find that they're very, very libertarian or oriented. If you send them to the, the, the world's smallest political quiz, more people than any other strike will turn into the libertarian quadrants. Why? Because liberty is a human concept. See, oppression is not a human concept. It's anti-human. It's not a human thing to be in a box. All right, And any form of oppression is just a bigger box. If it's minor oppression, it's a very large box with very large boundaries. But it's still a box. You're still contained. And if you put any creature into a box, the first thing they'll do is seek and exit. Why? Because it's innate to life. So we have to start, you know, really making our voice count for what we believe. And we can do that one way in a republic by how we vote. And I can't tell you how many people have told me, well, I really want the libertarian candidate, but I'm afraid if I vote for him, my vote will be wasted. So I'm going to vote for the left two evils. So let me just go right into the next principle because it kind of shuts this one down. Know why you believe what you believe. Know why you believe what you believe. Very hard to make that argument if you know why you believe what you believe. In other words, you can email me and tell me, Jack, I'm a liberal and I believe in socialism in the Scandinavian way. God, I get so many of those emails from you people. Ugh. And I respect your belief. I just think you're wrong. Right? That's fine. But why do you believe that? You know, I hear people all the time, well, the way Norway and Sweden does it. Have you ever been to Norway and Sweden? Have you ever worked there and paid their tax rate? You know? If you have, well, then maybe you know why you believe what you believe. I still don't agree with you. But if it's just because somebody in a college classroom, a professor, told you that it works over there without defining what works means... You know, and by other questions, you ever sign the front side of a paycheck? Have you ever paid the expenses of running a business out of your own pocket? If you haven't done that, it's really hard to understand what it means to the person who has to do that to support the redistribution of wealth when it's your wealth. It's real easy to be a socialist when you're 18 years old. It's a lot harder when you're successful in 40. But that's not really what it's about when I say know why you believe what you believe. All I'm saying is 
Go and do research on anything that you believe. Anything somebody tells you. I don't care if it's global warming, environmentalism, a political structure, an economic structure, a business idea. I don't care what it is in your life. See, liberty is all-encompassing. If you're going to make an argument for something, and your only argument is because everybody already knows that, you don't have an argument, and you can't even be strong in your own beliefs. If you're going to be strong in your beliefs, even if they are 100% counter to mine, you have to know why you believe what you believe. If you don't and you debate somebody like me, they will tear down everything you thought you believed in a matter of moments. You may cling to it out of desperation and out of fear, but any logical argument you made will be completely deconstructed. You should be able to make a strong logical argument for anything you believe, even if you're wrong. Because if you can't, why do you believe it? So anything I believe, I can make a strong logical argument for. And I'll admit, there's places I'm probably wrong. We all are. That's the beauty of a well-run and ordered society, that all of our beliefs can come together and be combined and be deconstructed and be reconstructed, and we can find the best solution. If everybody's free, if everybody's free to act as they choose without infringing on the rights of another, very simple. Oliver Wendell Holmes, guy that's some good press, bad press, whatever. I don't care about later in life and how, you know, because every time I bring him up, somebody has to, you know, that reads books and doesn't do anything but read books has to tell me about how he did something wrong. I understand that. I don't care. Everybody's done plenty of things wrong in their life. When a person is right, they're right no matter who they are. And Oliver Wendell Holmes summed up the way we should run our country this way. The right to swing my fist ends where the other man's nose begins. So that system I'm describing can only work if we're all free to do that. Right up to the point that I bloody your nose, I should be able to do anything I want. And you should as well. We have to all know why we believe what we believe for that to work as well. Along with that, you have to accept challenges to what you believe. I had a guy email me two days ago, and he said, um, you need to uh, stop promoting the National Inflation Association. They're a bunch of scam artists. They're plagiarizing Peter Schiff. And uh, they're running a pump-and-dump scam. Okay, so I emailed them back. I said, you've given me nothing but your opinion. I've received nothing like this from them. And everybody anywhere in the public eye that's doing the same thing somebody else is, is convinced that the other side's plagiarizing them. There's plenty of survival-oriented, homestead-oriented podcasts out there today that are using material that's verbatim what I'm using. Some are probably lifting the material. The majority are probably using the material because it makes sense. And, and most of what I talk about is public domain information anyway. So nobody's plagiarizing anything. And he emailed me back and said, yes, they are. You know, And Peter Schiff says they are. Well, pff, that doesn't really mean anything. And, and then you know, Google this company to find out. I emailed him back and said, you've given me nothing. Stop the silliness with the plagiarism. I don't even care. But if there's a scam going on, give me the information. He gave me one more email. I said, look, just give, give me fact. So he sent me an email. That email was a video being done by Peter Schiff. Schiff rambled on for 15 minutes to say what he could have said in five because there was a legitimate challenge to something I believe that this was a solid organization. I, I toughed it out through the 15 minutes. I found out they are, being, they are running pump and dump scams. I no longer endorse them, and I withdraw my endorsement on this show of the National Inflation Association. I don't know if they're really plagiarizing Peter Schiff, and I don't care. I don't care about that. But recommending a stock, a penny stock with no fundamentals behind it, just to drive up the stock to a targeted email list so that the other side can dump it, which is pump and dump, douchebags. All right? That's a clear case of douchebaggery. But for my belief, that because everything I had seen come out of them made sense, 
and I hadn't seen any stock recommendations come out of them, and I hadn't been given any facts, you can't challenge it just because you say so. You've got to give me facts. Give me proof points. If you give me proof points that show what I believe is wrong, I will evaluate them for myself. I will determine their validity. And if I am wrong, I will change my mind because that's how we grow and we learn. So you can accept challenges to anything you believe. You can hear conflicting arguments. But what you have to do in consort with knowing what, why you believe what you believe, you need to understand why the other person believes what they believe as well, which means you have to say, you got to bring me logic, and you got to bring me fact, and you got to bring me proof. And if you can't do that, we can't have a conversation about this. Because just because everybody knows, or just because everybody says so, or because some book that I don't even improve of the validity of the author thereof says something, doesn't mean it's true. Let me explain it as black and white as I can. Just because someone somewhere with some level of name recognition, says something, is not a proof point. That's why when people have the global warming discussion with me, the first thing I say is, here's a link to the Global Warming Skeptics Handbook. I don't care if you think it's been discredited. If you read the entire thing, and we can argue the information presented there within, I will have a discussion with you. If you're going to send me pictures of a graph and an email, an email to a video by Al Gore and other crap like that, uh, and, and you're going to say that this information is discredited just because it's discredited, because somebody somewhere said so, we can't have the discussion. We're wasting our time. So I will accept any challenge to any belief I have, but you have to bring fact, not nebulous opinion. Because I know why I believe what I believe. That's how those two mesh together. The next one, this is so important. Never submit to government authority voluntarily, with a caveat, legally resist. Here's what I mean. You're taxed, and you are overtaxed. And I don't care how we look at it, I don't care what your income level is, if you earn any money and spend any money in our society today, you are overtaxed. We are taxed coming and going. We're taxed for turning on the light, we're taxed for driving a car. We're taxed for working. We're taxed for not working. You know, one way or another, we're taxed when we die. Our heirs are taxed when they inherit. It's 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 tax upon tax upon tax. But this uh, this sovereign citizen nonsense, and I believe in sovereignty of the individual, but not the way this has been packaged. I'm learning more about that, by the way. The actual sovereign citizen movement, and it just it just 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 sickens me that the people behind that label are making it mean something it doesn't. And ruining it is something we used to be able... And I'm, I'm honestly feeling I'm feeling like it's not even a label I can use to describe myself anymore because of what's been done to it by people that claim to be sovereign citizens. But if you fall into that trap, the Irwin Schiff trap, you don't have to pay taxes. I'll get emails today. Here it goes again. There's the keyboard already going. I know it. Jack, I haven't paid taxes in nine years and there's nothing anybody can do about it. Send the IRS that email and see how long it takes them to get to your house. You've gotten away with it this long because you've been under the radar. We've got to pay our taxes, folks. I pay my taxes, you've got to pay yours. Until we change that law. But that doesn't mean we have to pay taxes the way that the form says we do if we just fill it out the way that we are supposed to fill it out. That doesn't mean that we can't go out and learn how to create deductions. That means we can't, doesn't mean we can't get creative. That doesn't mean we can't go to our neighbor and pay cash for things between us and them and that nobody needs to know but me, you, and the fence post. That doesn't mean I can't buy things online to avoid sales taxes. That doesn't mean I can't avoid what they call sin taxes by growing my own tobacco, which I don't do because I don't smoke, but if you do, that's one thing you can do. Or uh, that I can't avoid that by doing things like making my own beer and wine, which I'm about to start doing again, which I haven't done for several years. But those are all ways that we can avoid taxation. 
It doesn't mean that we have to voluntarily just let everything flow. So we can resist taxation by being creative and working within the system. That's what corporations do. And instead of sitting around bitching about the corporations, maybe we need to learn how to follow their example. Because corporation, folks, is nothing but a piece of paper filed with your attorney in your state. And if you do that, it has good and it has bad. And you need to understand it before you do it. But don't just go, well, they get away with it and I can't. Bullshit, you can too. There's almost no human being on this planet right now living in America today that could not form a corporation if they wanted to and get all the benefits thereof and all the responsibilities and additional legislation thereof. So we need to resist legally. If they start planting food that we don't want to eat, like the genetically modified food, then we can buy from known sources that don't use it and we can grow our own. That's a legal resistance. It's a good way of being an example. So everywhere the government tries to exert authority over you, never submit. Now this doesn't mean being a four-year-old child. Where you tell the child, sit down and watch TV, right? A kid was going to sit down and watch TV anyway, but as soon as you say it, I'm not going to do it. Now I'm going to bounce off the walls, and I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to draw on the wall with a crayon, even though I actually want to sit down and watch TV. because I'm resi- So you don't just look at any place that you can resist. If it's something you would do anyway, then you just do what you're going to do. That's freedom. If you resist just to resist, it's just as much oppression as being forced to do something you don't want. It's reverse psychology. And there's people, believe it or not, that do this insanity. That are out there objecting to laws that they don't even care about just because they're out there and they think they can get away with it. That doesn't make any sense at all. So, never submit to government authority voluntarily, but legally resist it. And work within the system to change it. The next one is... You need to, to be able to do that. You have to create your own systems, your own networks, etc. So if you want to avoid taxation, one way to do that is create a barter network. If you want to avoid taxation, another way to do that is create a reciprocity network. Where maybe it's not a barter. Because to me, barter is more about, um, you know, I have some, some eggs, you have some potatoes, and we swap them. A reciprocity network is more along the lines of, I'm a professional that offers professional services. And I will give an hour of my time to anybody else who will give an hour of their time within the network. In fact, we might even trade those under the name of hours, kind of like Ithaca does, even though that system's not very well run. It could be refined. So that one hour of a babysitter's time is equal to one hour of an attorney's time. Why should it be in that type of a network? Unburdened by government regulation and taxation, why shouldn't it be? Now you would say because the lawyer is educated. No, no, no. We're bartering nothing but our time. Now, do we want to maybe in that system create levels and say there's professional services and there's um, a blue-collar services level? So two hours of a or three hours of a baby's time is equal one hour of a lawyer's time. We do anything we want in our own network, folks. That's the whole point. But the simpler, the easier it is to run, the easier it is to attract people. And the problem with the networks like that that people try to put together is they're too small. The bigger they are, the more area they encompass, and the easier it is for me to find somebody in that network, then the more likely I am to participate in it and accept hours, certificates, or what have you. So what could I do? For instance, I could say, you know what? I'm a successful business person. I will uh, give up to one hour of my business uh, consulting time uh, in return for hours of other people in the network. But then I've got to have people in that network that I would actually utilize. So if there's a CPA there and he's a good, and I can find good CPAs there, sure I'll do it. If there's good attorneys in there, sure I'll do it. 
if there's a good graphic artist in there, well, yeah, but then how much graphic arts work do I need? So see, it all starts to become, it's a voluntary system of exchange. It's just one type of thing. But there are so many places, so much opportunity for people to get together. I hear from the gold bugs all the time. This is the one I hear. If the government would just allow the private sector to run gold as a form of currency, uh, then we could just run the economy without any government. There's nothing stopping you from doing that right now. You can trade paper gold all you want for anything you want. You can trade paper silver. You know, that you do have to convert it to dollars to do taxation and pay taxes in it. And that's the real way that they prevent it. But done privately between private individuals, you can barter anything you want pretty much. It's up to us to figure out how to do it the best way. And to do it as privately as possible. And I think that there will be new systems in the future that will allow that better than ever. I keep getting emails from you guys about the Bitcoin. That's a new virtual currency. Uh, you haven't heard me comment on it yet because uh, I don't know. Um, that's something I need to get somebody that understands it better, maybe somebody behind it on the show for an interview. If you know who's behind that thing and you can get in touch with them directly, have them get in touch with me. I'm not sold on it. I'm not against it. It's one example of how something like this might evolve in the future. But it's also wrought with uh, potential for abuse. And until I understand how that's prevented, I can't say yes or no on it. But let me be clear that I think that one of the biggest things we can do to create global liberty is to create global independent networks that allow for the exchange of things outside of government. And to do that in whatever legal loophole we can create for ourselves. And there's always ways to create those. We just have to be creative. The next one. Value education. Value education. People are going, but Jack, you're always rallying, railing against the college education system. Uh, let me finish it and be self-directed, uh, be a self-directed learner at all times. I am not against people going to college. I'm against the marketing hype that our government and our corporations have spread across America that says everyone should go to college because it's nonsense. Because there's not room in our economy for 100% college-educated people. There's not enough jobs that are requiring it. But that doesn't mean that if you know what you want to do and you know what you want to be and you have a plan to go to school and get that done, you shouldn't. Of course you should. That's what college is for, for that person. And, and folks, you know what it is? It's 20% of students. It's 20% of students that have the intelligence level for that level of higher learning and the desire and the direction. Without the intelligence... The desire and the direction, you're doing nothing but holding down a desk and bringing the system down to a lower level of performance. But that doesn't mean a person can't have the direction and the desire and the intelligence and be self-directed and learn more about what they really care about. So I don't care how you get your education, but I just want you to be self-directed in it. So people say, well, if you're self-directed, you don't go to college. No, 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 no. The self-directed person that evaluates all of their options and decides college is the best one for them based on knowing why they believe what they believe belongs in that university tomorrow morning and should get every single bit out of that university they can get. And if only those types of people were there, the colleges would teach to a higher standard, they would do a better job, and they would deliver a better product because that 20% would be the majority since it's everybody and the students would start telling the universities, hey, I'm paying you 25 grand a year to be here. You better deliver on the goods instead of being like, dude, I'm getting through school in like seven years instead of four, but I'm getting loans, so it's okay. 
That's that's where we're at with that. So we have got to start valuing education more. I just got an email today from a new organization called the Zero Tuition College. It's ztcollege.com. I put it out on Facebook today. Somebody else put one out that says it's similar, and it's called the Khan Academy, K-H-A-N, academy.org. I'll put both of those in today's show notes. Um, I think that's the future of education, that we have come to a point now where information can be exchanged and delivered across multiple platforms in real time all over the world at almost no cost. So I don't think that we can go to a completely free education system where all information is free because if there's no money made by teaching, by mentoring, by creating the material, by doing the research, then there's no incentive and then there's nobody that's going to do it. right? So until we get into a, a cashless society where everybody just sees value in everybody else and everything can be exchanged based on value of the individual, which is some kind of Star Trek thing that we are so far away from we don't even need to discuss it yet, we need to have some sort of incentive and that incentive is currency or money or cash or gold whatever it ends up being in our society. So there needs to be some type of way where people can earn a living through teaching. But you know how that works? You're going to teach me something, I'm going to pay you what I think it's worth. I actually believe that we could create an educational system where a teacher, a professor, a mentor would make more money than any institution would ever pay them, have 100% of their students be voluntarily be their students, and have a limit to how many they could take and have people competing for that individual. Free market education. I think it starts by giving away everything for free and letting the cream rise to the top and letting people pay voluntarily what they think the education is worth. How many college professors today would be absolutely broke in that environment? How many of them would drive Lamborghinis? You'd be surprised how many would end up being the ones driving the Lamborghinis. There's good teachers in the in the secondary, the post-secondary, the advanced. There's good teachers from kindergarten to master's degree schools and Ph.D. level uh, teachers. There's good teachers everywhere, and there's crappy teachers too. And there's crappy material that people don't even need to know that's been shoved in there by government. And an engineer does not need to take 19th century French art or some other art elective to be a good engineer. It might be helpful to them, depending on what kind of engineer they are, But they don't need it. There's so much that could be done with our education system if we would start living that way. And that is valuing education and being self-directed. Just like I, I don't blame the government as much for the oppression and the taxation and the destruction of the nation, I blame the people. I don't blame the colleges so much for what they've done as I blame the parents and the students who've accepted mediocrity and who have accepted a lie. And made it and made it true in their own minds and hearts. It's up to us to be self-directed learners. My show is one way you can be a self-directed learner. And if you don't like it, you find another one. That's self-directed learning. That's not saying if you don't like it, lump it. That's not me being sour apples. That's me being in touch with my own reality. There are only so many people that will listen to me and think, this guy's worth listening to. That's who I speak to. That's who I do all the work for. That's who I, I put all the effort into. The people that see it this way or at least are not objective to being challenged by what I believe. And everybody else is free to do anything else they want. I serve my audience. That's how I think we need to start demanding of all educational circles. And there's so much if Whatever you want to know about, you can get free books, free courses, free mentorship, free everything on. 
But if we really want to make that system powerful, then we have to start saying at some point, when someone's taught me enough that has some level of value and I'm willing to be, I'm willing to have some level of reciprocity through a financial transaction with them. That's how I view what I do. All of my money is voluntary. Every, every penny that you guys help support this show with is voluntary. And I'm hoping that when you spend $50 a year in the members brigade or if you're a sponsor and you spend a couple thousand dollars a year to support the show, that you feel that what you get back is far worth your inve- more, more, far more valuable than your investment. I think we need that same model in education. And until they get there, we need to do it for ourselves. I just gave you the National Academy's press a, a couple shows ago. 4,000 of the, the most incredibly academic books available, totally free by download. Any subject you want to know about science, math, engineering, uh, there's, there's stuff in there on ag- agriculture, so many things. You can get it all for free. And you're not stealing it, they're giving it away. Be a self-directed learner. And I don't care where you get your learning from, just make sure when you're challenged by that learning that you verify facts, you don't just accept things because somebody has authority, including me. If I tell you something you disagree with it, fine. But go out and make a logical, fact-based objection to it. And then accept the fact you might even bring that to me and I might tell you, I've already been there, I've already read that, I don't agree with you, and it's okay that we both continue to believe differently from each other. But we both better know why we believe what we believe, and that comes from self-directed learning. The next one, let no man speak for you or put words in your mouth. Uh, that is something that you know a lot of you guys have think I'm kind of a jerk sometimes on my blog in the comment section uh, when somebody says something like, well, Jack, you said, I'm like, oh, hell no, I did not. But that's because I fundamentally believe that. If you're going to live in liberty, when someone takes what you say out of context, when someone misquotes you, when someone speaks for you, you immediately stand up and say, no, here's the real truth. And you always do that even when it's not in your best immediate interest because it's always in your best long-term interest. You can't be a free man if somebody else is speaking on your behalf. You have to speak for yourself. You can't be a free man if somebody else is putting words in your mouth that you did not speak. You must always stand up to that. I think that one stands for itself. Next one, accept that others may ignore you, demean you, or attack you. When you stand up, know what you believe, why what you believe. Be a self-directed learner. Take charge of your own life. Live outside of the systems as much as possible. Object and resist governmental authority wherever it's, it's deemed appropriate. Do so legally. You spread your example with belief and not force. When you create independence from the systems, when you do all of these things, you're going to make people very uncomfortable who are comfortable in their delusion and their slumber, and they will attack you, they will demean you, and they will ignore you. And that's okay. You let it be. Every action you take, every example that you leave, even the person that directly attacks you today, if you don't resist the attack, if you don't fight back, if you just go on with your life, and that doesn't mean if somebody invades your house, you're a pacifist, you let them take their stuff. But if somebody challenges your ideas, you make a logical objection to it, and they still don't believe you, and you rock on, you just planted a seed. That seed may come up later. I was just talking to my wife about something totally different. I said, you don't plant an apple seed today and go tomorrow and look at it and expect a seedling. It won't sprout that fast. It'll take some time. And you don't come back a year from then and look for an apple. There won't be one yet. But if everything goes right, 10 years from now, you'll have a massive tree with more apples than you could ever use. Well, sometimes that tree is going to die. Sometimes it's in infertile soil. So there's a million reasons that tree won't grow. But if you plant enough seeds, you'll end up with an awful lot of apple trees. That's how a libertarian should lead, live, planting as many seeds as possible. 
and not worrying when you're attacked, demeaned, or ignored. The next thing is when you do argue, you need to argue the ideas and the facts, not the validity of the individual. When you see two people debating and one starts personally attacking the other, that means they've been defeated and don't want to admit it. If you can't argue the concept, the idea, and the logic without attacking the person on the other side, then you have no argument. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't look for truth. And what is the source? So when I object to the global warming propaganda nonsense, I will tell you that it came from Marie Strong. I will tell you he's an oil billionaire. I will tell you that he's in China right now teaching the Chinese to exchange carbon credits, that he has a massive financial incentive to say that carbon is bad, even though he's made all his money with the most carbon-producing fossil fuel that we know of other than coal, which is oil. Why? It's germane to the subject. But if I start talking about his mama or his personal, you know, his personal life, I'm not debating the idea anymore. So when I talk to you and you're not Marie Strong, I don't need to bring up what you've done in your life. I just need to point you to where's your source. Did you know this? And you can look at it and go, it doesn't matter, Jack. I still believe this. Fine. But I want you to know all the facts. That's how we argue ideas. And this is the problem with libertarians within our own circles. We will take those ideas in, inside our own circles. We'll argue with them so much we don't focus on getting the message out to anybody else. You get two libertarians in a room together, they'll agree on 99.9% of everything. They'll find the one thing they disagree with and they'll spend all their time and energy trying to convince the other libertarian that they're more libertarian. And they're, Stop it. Stop it. It's just stupid. One guy said to me, you know, he watched this show and he left us on a comment. Said that they watch this show and these ants, you see these ants just fighting and fighting over morsels and, and looking, if you looked at them real close, but when you pull back and you look at the entire ant mound, they're all moving much in like extreme efficiency. And maybe that's how libertarians are, that we're like that. No. Because the, 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 the whole thing's moving forward toward a goal. And right now the libertarian movement is not moving toward a goal. They're really not. There's some people trying to make it happen, but mostly what's going on is people arguing amongst themselves. And that starts when we start to go down and attack the individual instead of the idea. And especially when we go outside of our circle and we start talking to people that disagree with us 100%. It is so important at that point that we make our case on logic and fact and reason and we leave the person's individual life and our dislike for the individual out of it. It's like calling a kid a name on a playground. You only do it when you want to bully them or when you're afraid of them. If you want to argue that there's a better way to do something, demonstrate it and prove it. And here's the last one. It's the most important one. And you've heard it from me so many times because it's, it, it's, it's one of the fundamentals that this show is done from. Remember that no matter what anybody says, what you do matters. No matter how many times the, 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 the apparatus and the people and your fellow man tells you, what you do doesn't matter. Your garden doesn't matter. Your, your solar panels don't matter. Standing up for what you believe doesn't matter. The things are still going to be the way that they are. And there's nothing you can do about it. They're full of shit and they're scared. And that's why they tell you that. I'll tell you what. If your garden didn't matter, then there wouldn't be a propaganda campaign against it. If people standing up for what they believe didn't matter, there wouldn't be a whole bunch of people trying to push them back down. People only resist what they're afraid of, and they're only afraid of things that they believe can create change that they're not comfortable with. And that's why we're being resisted. The resistance is positive. If there were no resistance, that would mean what we're doing doesn't matter. And they will try to ignore us. Remember, we already talked about that in another tenet. They will try to ignore you. 
But if you keep living your life, sooner or later you're going to encounter resistance and ridicule. And then when that doesn't work, you're going to encounter the message, well, do whatever you like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You will submit. You will, you will be under the authority. You will have what everybody else has, and you will like it. You'll get that message in a variety of forms from a variety of people, from a well-meaning parent to a government bureaucrat and everything in between. You will get the message that what you do doesn't really matter because things are the way they are and they will always be that way. People that believe things are the way they are and will always be that way have a name. It's called being foolish. History has shown that everybody who's ever taken that stance sooner or later paid the piper in a big way. Whether it came from advancement for the positive or tragedy to the negative. People that believe that Rome couldn't fall and people that believe that the computer would never take off. Both segments suffered eventually. There will always be change and it's because the individual matters more than the collective when it comes to creating change. What you do matters, no matter what anybody tells you. What you do matters. What you teach your children matters. The way you live your life and the way other people see you live your life matters. Your belief and your love of liberty matters. Your belief that you can do more, you will do more, and you should do more matters. You live in a world where you're constantly told that's not true. That the way to advance is to conform. And I am telling you that the way to advance is to rebel as you see fit with respect for your fellow man. That is how everybody who has ever made a real positive difference in this world did it. No one made a rocket that could go to the moon by conforming. No one built an aircraft by conforming. No one proved that the world wasn't flat by conforming. No one has ever fed their family by conforming. On some level, the individual spirit of rebellion has always what's been what's kept us alive and what's moved us forward. That's what the individual libertarian life is all about. It doesn't matter what form of government you're in, it doesn't matter what nation you're in, they don't get to control your mind, they don't get to control your heart, and they don't get to control your spirit. You get to live your life your way. And the only thing holding you, you back is not understanding that that's how it should be for everybody else and that you have to accept that and you have to give everybody else the same freedom. You do that, you start taking control of things and you start having more control of your life and control feels good. And control is empowering and that's why authority fears it. That's why they fear the individual more than anything else. Because one individual and one individual's actions in life can indeed change the world. And if not the world, it can change the world for the individual and for those around them. And that's how momentum gets built. That's how real change happens. Real change doesn't happen because we vote for one ass clown over the other. Real change happens because we decide to make it in our own lives. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. We forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the 
nobody up there cares They're living for today Shut